coaches, if you're listening to this, congratulations. You survived the snowpocalypse of 2021. Hopefully without having to bust up your bedroom suit to use uh, firewood or, or, you know, you haven't you hadn't had to live off of canned dog food for the past week or you didn't head off to Cancun. But anyway, hey, what a week. I mean, we were actually on uh, on winter break here in, in Texarkana, so uh, we didn't miss any school, which was good. But my wife and I did have to cancel a trip that we had planned a, a ski trip, ironically enough. I guess we could have stayed here and skied in Texarkana. But uh, anyway, thankfully, we did have power the entire time, and and we did have a water pipe burst and were without water for a few days. But all in all, man, we were we were blessed and able to enjoy the week as a family and got to do some sledding with the kids. So I hope everyone out there is getting back to some sense of normalcy, and I think we would all be cool with a nice, boring spring, right? Okay. Well, one thing I was able to do this week while I was locked up in my house was hop on my computer and play around on Go Edit Graphics. You know, we are proud to be partnering with Go Edit Graphics for this season of our podcast. And what Go Edit Graphics does is allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communications, to name a few. The platform is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. So even if you're the grouchy old coach on staff who believes that there are only three things that happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad, even you can still create awesome-looking graphics with GoEdit. Seriously, coaches, GoEdit Graphics is a great way to showcase all of your sports and athletes. Subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Now, here's something cool that GoEdit is doing for KYPD listeners. Mention Keep Your Pads Down and receive $25 off your Showcase yearly package. Go check them out on Twitter at GoEdit Graphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see examples of the awesome graphics coaches have already created. And for this season of the podcast, we are also honored to be partnering with Our Coaching Network. Our Coaching Network is a new football coaching platform connecting coaches from all levels and helping them get better every week. Our Coaching Network has live clinics Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday nights, and we'll have 150-plus hours of high-quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred back to at any time in the future. This week on Our Coaching Network, there's actually a clinic Monday through Thursday night covering everything from QB play, O-line play, D-line play, special teams, and safety play, so something for everyone this week. Now, I've been teasing this for the last few weeks, but our podcast is actually partnering up with our coaching network to put on a virtual D-line clinic for Saturday, March 27th, and I'm super excited about it. We finalized our list of presenters this weekend, and we're going to drop that later on uh, in, the, in the coming days, but it's, it's going to be really awesome. More information on that to come in the following days and weeks, but that's something really cool on the horizon. So coaches, mark your calendar for Saturday, March 27th for a five-hour virtual D-line clinic. We'll have five coaches presenting uh, from different levels of college football, and they're going to be doing a great job, and I'm really excited about it. So go check out our coaching network and start learning and networking and connecting today. Okay, so today I am joined by a guy who I've gotten to know over the past year and can say without a doubt that he's one of the most humble, uh, kind-hearted, genuine dudes in this profession. Uh, He's also made the most of his time. You know, we all had uh, this issue, this you know, this this within the past year where we were all quarantined, and you know, a lot of us did different things. 
And I, I don't think anyone can fault this guy or say that he did not maximize the time that he had. He runs two Twitter chats. He puts out his own podcast and does a great job of spotlighting the work of other coaches. And I'm excited to be talking with him today. Today, I'm talking with Flugerville Hendrickson D-line coach Peter Noonan. Coach Noonan just wrapped up his first season at Hendrickson where he helped guide the Hawks to the area round of the 5A Division I state playoffs. Prior to coming to Pflugerville, Coach Noonan was in Kingsville, Texas at Santa Gertrudis Academy where he served as a defensive line coach and defensive coordinator. Before that, Coach Noonan spent time at West Mesquite, Nevada Community, and Crandall High School after breaking into coaching at his alma mater at Bel Air High School in Houston. Coach Noonan is a graduate of Florida State University, a diehard Houston sports fan, and the nicest guy you'll ever meet. And today, we discuss topics that we feel like are relevant and important for coaches today. You know, we talk about breaking into coaching and advice you know, on how to do that because both of us actually started our coaching careers as volunteers at high schools, which gives us both sort of interesting perspectives on that. And then we talk about networking, the importance of that and, and how to do that. We talk about using social media to your advantage. And then finally, we get into that broad sweeping language in every coach's contract, other duties assigned. What does that mean? What does that look like? How should we embrace that as coaches? A lot of good stuff in our conversation today that we're going to unpack, so let's jump into it. Here is Coach Peter Noonan on episode number 94 of KYPD. It's uh, it's it's way overdue to get you here on the podcast. I feel like, um, first of all, and I shared this in the intro. I feel like we've known each other for a long time, although to my knowledge, we've never actually been in the same room together. But I guess that was one of the blessings of the quarantine this past year was getting to know guys like yourself and being able to to do some things together. So, first of all, welcome to the podcast, Coach. Thanks for having me on. Uh, been a big fan of your podcast. Everything that you've done. Uh, through through this platform, what you do for uh, the sport of football and as well as particularly the defensive line. You know, I don't think we get enough love uh, on, on the social media platforms and, and such. So it's great to have a D-line focused podcast. Uh, the, the guests that you've had have been amazing uh, and invaluable from a, a learning standpoint. So I really appreciate you for that and uh, letting me come on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we, we've uh, like like I said already, we we we've we've collabed a little bit. You know, I came on your podcast uh, earlier, or actually later in twenty twenty, or later in twenty twenty, uh, and then this past summer we did a a D line roundtable that was really cool. And then um, I, I love being a part of your D line chat on Tuesday nights. And so um, again, it's it's just really cool that we're able to do this. So I know a little bit about your background. I've heard I heard you on on other podcasts, Run the Power, and just and, and talked with you before. But go ahead and fill these guys in on you know how you got started in your coaching journey, where you grew up, all those things. Because I think that's really interesting. So, born and raised in Houston, Texas. Um, you know, as growing up, um, my dream was to play college and pro ball, uh, and I quickly realized that uh, at about five seven, five eight, uh, when you peak your growing height and about your freshman, sophomore year in high school and everybody else keeps getting taller. You, you don't have a chance. Uh, it's also, it's also when you're uh, chubby and slow as all get out. So 
uh, always been a lifelong Florida State fan. My aunt lived in Fort Lauderdale um, for the majority of her life uh, after she moved from Houston. So she would send me stuff, um, took a visit as a, uh, as just, just to see the university, fell in love and went there, got my bachelor's, um, you know, kind of came back to Houston, uh, didn't know what I was going to do, went over to my old high school, Bel Air High School, and uh, just, you know, asked around, see what they could do for me. They kind of scrounged around this um, nicely worded video guy uh, deal, and, and I became a substitute teacher and eventually got my alternative certification and um, was able to, you know, get on full-time at Crandall High School and, and progress from there. And Few, few different schools in the DFW, down to South Texas, and now in Central Texas at Pflugerville Hendrickson. And uh, you know, it's been great. I've been able to obtain a master's degree in that standpoint and uh, coach a lot of great kids, uh, be around a lot of great staffs, and just continue to learn and grow. Yeah, and we're going to flesh out that that the, the breaking into coaching uh, part here in a second because the whole point of our conversation today is really to do just that. It's kind of have a conversation talk about some things that we've observed in our years of coaching because you know we're about the same age uh roughly been coaching about the same amount of time uh but I want to go back to just the, the your decision to go to Florida State because you know you talked about always being a Florida State fan you and I are kind of from the same or are from the same era I had I had uh some a couple Seminoles uh starter jackets back in the day uh you know early 90s when they were kind of in their in their uh really at their peak when I think it's, it seemed like you know, everybody was a Chicago Bulls fan and everybody was a Florida State Seminoles fan. And, and so I can definitely relate to just uh, being a fan of Florida State, although I knew nothing about the university. Ironically, my father-in-law uh, grew up in Tallahassee, just miles away from, actually not even miles, actually on campus, uh, sold peanuts at the stadium during football games. So now I do kind of have a connection there and, and have been to a couple games. So talk about what that was like going to school at Florida State and, and and that transition from Houston to Florida State and, and really how all that went? Um, the easiest transition was weather. It's pretty much the same. It's humid. Um, <clears throat> Tallahassee's a little bit more, uh, has a few more hills uh, than not as flat as Houston in some areas. So, you know, walking up uh, the main hill my freshman year, I lived in an off-campus dorm. And so that was one of the, one of the tougher parts um, that I had to adjust to was that part, but the humidity, the rain, that was easy. Um, you know, the other deal was I went out there. I knew absolutely nobody. Um, one of these things that I don't uh, put out a whole lot is that my first two years, I was actually in the marching chiefs there. And uh, okay. my, my first year I uh, did not make the cut for the actual marching band. So I was a roadie year one. Uh, so that was 2005, and that was actually a really cool year to be a roadie um, because I got to do everything everybody else did, but I didn't have to worry about marching. Um, so I was in charge of our feature twirler. Um, her, she did, she taught, she would twirl the fire batons um, in the pregame, and then she would do something at halftime. <clears throat> so she. Uh, she had a, a specific, you know, fire fireproof box that she would put the batons in once she was finished. And so my job was to always be where she was going to finish um, or have them ready when, where she was going to start and then be where she was going to finish so that she could put them out in the box and, and not set the field on fire. 
Um, year two, I actually got a little bit better uh, playing the saxophone and, and made the, the actual marching. Um, and, but year one, we, uh, we went to, to Clemson. Um, we went to uh, Florida. That was the first year of the ACC championship game in Jacksonville, and we played in the Orange Bowl versus Penn State. Uh, and then the first game of the year was Miami at home on Labor Day. Um, and that was the first year we beat Miami in, I think, like five or six years. Um, and that was a Monday night deal. And it was it was insane. Um, the crowd, yeah. the atmosphere. Um, that was a field goal decided game. Um, actually, the, the funny thing is both the first game of the year and the last game of the year came down to three points. You know, we lost to Penn state. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately that game should have been won in, in regulation. Um, you know, but it, just being there at Florida state um, and meeting people in the band, I met, I met my best friends in our dorm, um, still friends for these guys. We talk every day, uh, usually about random nonsense, but uh, you know, two of them were, were in my wedding and, you know, it's just, one of the greatest times of my life made so many great friends and learned a lot, um, especially just being on my own. And that, uh, you know, as long as you don't mind trying new things or putting yourself out there, you know, you, you're going to get a chance to have some really awesome experiences. The fact that I got to travel, um, you know, free of charge to a lot of different places. Uh, my, my four years there, um, for various things was awesome seeing behind the scenes when I worked at the SID office, you know, for a, a regional tournament in baseball, um, the basketball games. Um, you know, I also uh, narrowly missed the cut uh, for the travel squad for a couple of the like ACC and NCAA tournaments because um, we had a small pet band that would go. Um, I was there when we beat Florida as the number one team and rush the court. Um, that was crazy. Um, you know, my buddy is, there's a, I'm sure there's a internet video out there floating of him standing uh -huh. behind, uh, Dickie V one time with his, um, he had a crazy, um, uh, like a clown wig. Yeah. Um, he's just hollering behind Dickie V one time after a game and, you know, so just things like that, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, uh, you know, get to where I'm at now. And, and my biggest deal is, um, I can tell a kid, uh, regardless if it's a student or a student athlete, you know, if you have a dream, go chase it. It's, it's worth that, uh, attempt to at least go chase it and see what happens. Uh, cause you never know what's going to pan out with it. Well, I, I, I'm a little bit, um, jealous of, of, of that experience. You know, I went to a small school and, and, and played football there, but I always, kind of wondered what it would be like to go to a big school like Florida state and, you know, to be around when, uh, you know, all those big moments like you're talking about when uh, in football, when they're beating Miami or, or when they, when you're rushing the court and just things like that, like that, that has to be cool, especially when uh, your school is, is, is really good, you know, in football and basketball and those sports uh, that has to be a lot of fun. And I've been, like I said, I've been on the Florida state campus now that, I, that I, I've now that I've been married and, and gotten to go back with my wife and her family and kind of experience some of that, but uh, that has to be uh, a lot of fun. Actually, I got to go to the um, to the Rose Bowl with where, where Jameis Winston and, and uh, uh, it was Kelvin Benjamin. Uh, those guys when they beat Auburn, uh, there in the yeah. Rose Bowl. I was there at that game, and that was uh, man, that was such a cool experience. 
you know, with those two teams, obviously, but then just in that setting at the Rose Bowl and and uh, for that game to go down the way that it did because at halftime, things weren't looking so great for the Seminoles and and for those guys to come all the way back and, and, and win it was really, really cool. No doubt. No doubt. Definitely goes down as one of the best all-time uh, championship games and, and such a great way to end the BCS era. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's let's talk about coaching then. You know, was was coaching something you always knew you wanted to do? Um, I think you've shared before how maybe there's another career path that you wanted to, to pursue. But, you know, how did this whole coaching thing come about? Coaching was never anything that I thought I would do. When I realized that I wasn't going to go be a professional athlete, my next thought was, well, maybe I'll go be uh, a sports agent. Drew Rosenhaus was, was the guy growing up and representing you know, some of the most elite football players. Um, and then, you know, you think about a Scott Boris representing some of the most elite baseball players. So my thought was, okay, well, let's go try that route. You know, there's not a real, there's no specific path to get there, but I had an idea that if I were to get a law degree, that would help, you know, from a contract standpoint, understanding some stuff. When I got to Florida state, I, you know, got the basics done and, in talking with my guidance counselor, I was like, well, I'll, I'll do sport management, um, you know, and that we'll, we'll see what that does. It was a cool degree. I sat in class with some really cool people, uh, particularly some different student athletes of, of the different sports. But growing up, it's funny you mentioned in the 90s growing up, one of the things about everybody was they were they were more than likely a Chicago Bulls fan. Um, so for me, going to bed, my bedtime what my bedtime stories, quote unquote, were uh, listening to radio broadcasts of the Rockets, the Astros, um, and I knew you know all the the starting lineup play by play from the Chicago Bulls and things of that nature. And my cousin always said that I would I should be a sports broadcaster. So it's funny now that I have this podcast and um, gotten into it from that standpoint. But to get into actual coaching was really just a complete happens chance. Uh, like I said earlier, I went back to uh, Houston, went back to my old high school. Um, one of the coaches that coached me in high school was still on staff there, John Henry Mills. Um, and uh, I said, hey, man, you know, I, I don't really know what I want to do. Um, I, at the time, I was working for a local newspaper doing outside ad sales, and I really didn't like that. Um, it, it's just not a salesman, like in that traditional sense. Um, so I really was just looking for something else to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do because I had already failed the LSAT twice. So I reached out to Coach Mills and he said, well, let me talk to the head coach and we'll see what we can do. Uh, so Coach Trey Herman uh, called me, he said, hey, man, uh, you want to come in and interview? Um, I can give you, you know, a volunteer spot. Um, and all we, all we got really is, um, film. We'll call you director of, um, videographer or something of that. You know, it, it made it sound really awesome. And I was like, cool. Yeah. I, I know I knew nothing about what I was about to embark on from that, from that side of things. This, my gig in 2009 predated, um, what huddle is now. Yeah. Um, it was, we, we used the DSV systems. We yep. used uh, DVDs, mini DVs. Um, yep. So everything was on separate databases. Um, 
you know, and, uh, but I enjoyed it. Um, I had a really cool group of kids that I was able to, to um, work with. Uh, these kids were awesome. My three years there, um, they helped film games in practice. Um, I got them so good that as soon as we were done with practice, they'd be uploading practice film um, into the databases and uh, really sped up the process on the way home from games. I would ride in the in the OC Trey Sisms truck, uh, with Coach Herman, and I'd be I'd have a hot spot, and we were we were uploading film and you know trying to get it going that way. Um, you know, it was it was cool. It was a great way to get introduced to the game um, beyond what I had known as a player, and then uh, you know substitute teaching was interesting. Um, and doing it at your old high school and having a lot of your old teachers there on campus to, uh, to pick their brains about the shoot. I got, I got to the point where I was a long-term sub uh, for an algebra class. And I would literally go to my old uh, algebra one and two teacher and ask and ask her questions in order to prepare the lesson for the next class period or, or so forth. So, yeah. you know, I was able to really learn a lot from a hands-on experience that I don't think that you traditionally get from a student teacher standpoint, um, depending on where you're at. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of where we want to start our discussion today is just talking about breaking into coaching. You know, um, you and I uh, both have sort of similar experiences when it comes to that. Um, you know, you volunteered and, and, I, and I, I got in volunteering and I'll talk about that here in a second. But I, 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 yeah, I kind of want us just to talk about a little bit about some things that that we learned from those early days of kind of getting into coaching and what those experiences uh, taught us both. And, and so for the guys who don't know, I, I started out coaching um, in Mississippi. My wife uh, and I uh, had gotten married and she was going to grad school at Ole Miss. I uh, thought I was going to be a, a volunteer strength assistant in the, uh, in the strength department there at Ole Miss. And that, that fell through um, after about a week. And so I was kind of left without anything. This was late August uh, of the of 2009. And so I went in, I went into a high school and there was a, there were two high schools there in Oxford Thursday before a game, I went and, and found the, the, uh, the head coach. I was there in his office. He was decaling helmets for their first game and told him what I wanted to do. And, and we talked a little bit and he said, well, we'll show up Sunday. And we're working and we'll see if we can find you something. And so that's kind of how I got my start. And I ended up being there for four years and substitute taught like you did coach Noonan. Um, but I, I really, uh, those were some good times, but also were some difficult times. So I, I'll, I'll throw the question to you, then I'll answer my own question. What were some things that you learned from that experience of having a volunteer, not really actually getting to coach much and, and just, you know, what, what, what were some things you learned and how do you think that made you a better coach? Uh, I learned early on that, uh, you know, it, it's a seven day a week job. Um, you know, I, despite being a volunteer, I was up there on Saturdays and Sundays when I didn't necessarily have to be because uh, I just wanted to be around it. I really enjoyed the guys that were on staff, um, asking them questions, watching them engage the kids um, and seeing, you know, things that I really the things that really stood out to me from, a, you know, just how they coached, um, you know, how they ran drills, uh, you know, and the, you know, the other deal for me is starting at my alma mater, uh, I was, you know, hundred percent invested in, in the success of that program because my junior and senior year in high school, we were the first team 
to get to the playoffs. They hadn't made the playoffs in, I think, since the 70s. So it had been, you know, a good while, you know, going on 30-something years. Um, So my first year in 09, we did not make the playoffs. Um, And then uh, 2010 season and since, uh, they have consistently made the playoffs challenge for a district championship, um, and they've progressed to the first and second round. So for me, it was, I'm going to do anything and everything I need or could do to one, make my high school as as successful as possible. Um, but two, I just saw that, you know, whatever needed to be done, the guys on staff did it. If it meant picking up a paintbrush to paint stuff in the weight room, if it meant, you know, doing film film time with dads uh, on a Monday. It was, it was that, you know, it, it was all about that. Um, you know, the older days of recruiting where you had to take DVDs to people, um, you know, or, or, you know, you're, you go into these bigger camps and you've got a stack of DVDs. Uh, you're showing up to seven on seven tournaments. Uh, you're there all day because, you know, you're invested in the success of the kids and, and things of that nature. Is a, that's really what I saw uh, my first three years there. And just, uh, you know, I, I became a student of the game. That's I wasn't necessarily a uh, student of the game per se as a player. I knew my job. Uh, I knew the jobs of people around me. Um, but I wasn't, you know, I, I watched film because other guys were watching film at lunch in our head coach's office. Um, but I didn't, you know, we didn't have access to film at home. So I wasn't studying it per se. I, I watched games on TV as a player, as a fan. I wasn't critically watching them like some of these other guys did. Um, but as I progressed in those first three years, I learned about what it was to watch film and watch it as a coach and not watch it as a fan or watch it as just a spectator. I think that was big for me also is, is just learning, um, you know, things like how to watch film. I, I really didn't know how to watch film, even playing college football. Uh, I realized I really didn't know how to watch film. I, I you know, that, that no one had ever really taught me that. And that was not a skill that I had developed as a player. And so it was one that I definitely had to develop uh, in those early days of coaching and so it was a lot of just sitting there and watching and listening to what the other, other coaches were saying about a play or uh, an offense or a personnel grouping or whatever and asking a ton of questions. Wait, why is that? Okay, why, is, why are y'all calling that? Why is that a counter? All right, well, what's the difference between the counter and, and, and power right there? Like, that looks kind of like the same thing to me. Okay, well, how do you know that this is? And just not being afraid to ask those questions. And, and so, yeah, I think that was, that was good for me as well. And, and it definitely, um, you know, I think if I would have walked right in and, and been a full-time guy, um, that, that would have been fine. I think I would have still learned a lot of those lessons. But it definitely um, made me appreciate the things that, that, I, that, that I was able to do once I finally became a full-time coach because, you know, I wasn't uh, making a whole lot of money, uh, which we, don't, we as coaches don't make much money anyway, but I wasn't making much money really never, never, uh, just felt like I was like, you know, an actual coach until, you know, I was able to cut, you know, sign on full-time or you know, sign full-time there at that school. But I think that's invaluable experience for, for coaches to have. And, you know, I think sometimes 
young coaches can 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 get into a place or go to a place and they're worried about their title or they're worried about um you know what they're what they're going to be doing or you know um what level of football it is uh, what would you say to those guys who are who are concerned about that and and um what advice would you give those guys man the, those those titles really don't mean anything as i've progressed in my career um arguably there are guys that are position coaches at various schools that one for sure no more uh but two uh the perception of that position is greater than a title at, at somewhere else um you know uh being being a coordinator is great and that's not to say that you shouldn't strive to be a coordinator but um there are guys out there that realize their their job their value their best way to contribute is as a position coach or their best value or way to contribute is as a coordinator or it's at the junior high level um when i was at nevada community we had a really really good uh boys coordinator at the middle school and i'd ask uh you know my first year uh there we ran the, uh, the summer pr- uh, strength conditioning together. Um, I was going to serve as a, I, I was a uh, defensive line coach uh, for the varsity and JV and freshman. Um, but I was going to be teaching at the junior high and the high school. So I was like, uh, well, let me help him out. Uh, let me spend time at the junior high. I need to get to know these kids because one, I'm going to eventually potentially coach them as they, grow up through uh, the system, but two, I'm going to be there in the classroom, both with seventh graders and with eighth graders. Uh, so I need to develop that relationship. And I'd ask him, man, you don't have a desire to move up to, you know, freshman or varsity level. And he said, no, um, you know, my role, my job is here. I love this age. Um, you know, he didn't care about being the athletic coordinator as much as he just cared about being the best coach that he could. And, and, taking a lesson from somebody like that, who, I don't know, is his title better than mine. I was, I was, you know, defensive line. I was head boy soccer. You know, what are the, what, who was ultimately better? Um, you know, and in a sense, you, I look at it now and say he was potentially better because he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. And he did it to his, the best of his ability, not to say that I didn't coach my tail off, but I was also younger in my career. So I, I got caught up a little bit in, in titles and, and, you know, wanting to be this or that, but, but I look at it now and, 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 you know, I think that if I was ever to have my opportunity as a head football coach, one of the things that I would want is if I can help um, pick somebody for a feeder middle school, I want to make sure that that person's on board with what I'm doing. Uh, because that's an invaluable piece to the puzzle of success, uh, especially if you look at the consistent um, top tier programs. Uh, I guarantee you they have a strong junior high, strong freshman staff that feed up to the varsity. Um, yeah. You know, if you're if you're in an open transfer district, it becomes difficult because uh, then it's just a matter of where those kids want to go, whoever's hot at the time. Um, you know, and that's, I, I've seen that happen in a couple of different places that I've been at. Um, 
you know, there's, there's not really any specific loyalties uh, from the junior high staff to the varsity staff. Um, it's just kind of a, a free for all sometimes. Um, but when you have that direct feeder and those kids grow up uh, and want to be, you know, whatever the varsity mascot is and play at that stadium, it's a different deal. Um, you know, I think that's what really makes uh, small town Texas high school football or small town high school football in general across the country so great is you have that growth from the from the community up to the to the high school and and so you know as 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 I double digit year coach now my best advice to young guys is don't worry about your titles worry about where your feet are uh, coach present be present where you're at um, that's something that uh, a buddy of mine at Crandall who's the head girls basketball coach and now he's at um, JJ Pierce doing the same thing you know his mantra was play present one year and that's something that stuck with me is regardless of where you're at, just do the best job that you can, um, you know, and, and eventually you will be rewarded for your hard work in due time. Yeah. I think that's great advice. I think, um, you know, and one thing I've learned in doing all these, all these podcast episodes and having all these conversations with coaches is, you know, how many of, of these guys who are now very successful and at these big time schools, how many of them got their start at, at, at the middle school level? And, and they talk about, you know, how much you have to do at the middle school level. You're doing, you know, if maybe you're a D-line guy at heart or whatever, but you're coaching offense, you're coaching defense, you're coaching special teams. I know for me, my first year I coached freshman offensive line, uh, deep snapping, uh, outside linebackers, defensive line, uh, you know, all, a little bit of everything. And it, and it taught me a lot of just about, about, you know, I remember I was, I was the one, I mean, there was no one else for freshman practice. Like I'm drawing up scout cards or I'm drawing, I'm planning out practice, you know, all those things. Uh, that you wouldn't get to do if you were just a varsity assistant straight out of the gate. And so I think that stuff is really, really important uh, for the growth of a coach to be able to do that. So, yeah, uh, my, my, my advice would be the same as yours, not to worry about your title, but get somewhere with a good staff, a solid staff that's going to help nurture, nurture you and, and, and grow you and, and just get in there and put your, put your head down and go to work. And uh, like you said, be where your feet are and, and good things will happen for you. All that other stuff will take care of itself when it needs to. So that kind of feeds us into our next topic, something that, you know, you and I, this is why we're having this conversation is because of this word, and that's networking. That's a word you hear a lot in, in our profession today, uh, the importance of it. Some guys really like to do it, some hate it. Um, and so I want to just talk to you and get your opinion about that. You know, how important is networking in our profession and what ways uh, do you build your own personal network? Uh, you know, networking is the lifeblood of, of this whole business side of coaching. If you want to progress, uh, whether it's to become, uh, you know, a 5A or 6A position coach or a coordinator or a head coach or, you know, get out of coaching and going to either admin uh, at, at a high school, junior high or elementary, or, or it's get into an AD type role, it comes down to more often who you know and not what you know. Uh, a lot of people can get into a room and explain the X's and O's. Um, some people are going to understand it. Some people won't, uh, but everybody's going to have their references checked. Um, and whether you, a former employer is still there at the school you left um, or not, chances are somebody knows somebody that knows somebody um, that that's going to make a phone call or an email or send a text message um, 
you know, it's, it's crazy to think about the circles of education. Uh, everybody plays the game of six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon, but you know, there's, there's a, a degree or two of separation between probably every coach in the state of Texas. Um, I doubt there's more than two degrees of separation. And after this last year uh, where everybody was on Twitter and in those zooms run by a variety of different coaches, um, you know, you, you just got to know people um, and expand that network. Um, you know, this week I've had uh, several coaches reach out to me about a job um, in a nearby high school. And, and I've been able to help them out by giving them some information, but also at least being able to tell them where to, where to best direct their applications and resumes to. Um, and, and I can, you know, I can say with good conscience that I know who these people are. I know their work. I know their work efforts. Um, so, you know, for them, they're, they're a degree of separation away from, from that job. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm, I've been on the other side, I've had to reach out to people. And, you know, it's funny, the guy that gave me my, my opportunity at Crandall high school, Todd, John, um, there's probably not many people that don't know who he is, or at least have known of him, uh, from his time at Highland park and other, uh, prolific high schools. But, uh, you know, he's kind of one of those guys that, uh, you know, everybody has their references listed on resumes. Uh, but then there's those off the reference list of people that they call. Right. And, and so if you're going to put somebody on your resume list and your reference list, right, more than likely, they're going to give you a good reference. Otherwise, why would you put them on there? So, you know, employers are going to make phone calls and emails and texts, um, to people that were going to give them uh, either an unbiased opinion or, you know, a, a trustworthy opinion. So when you're able to, you know, put people on your reference list that would typically be the off the reference call, um, you know, that, that obviously speaks to who you are as a person. Um, and ultimately, you know, when you leave a place, you want to leave on as best terms as you, as you can because the circles of education run so small. Um, you know, if you don't do a good job in the classroom, it's going to make it very difficult for you to get hired at a new place. Uh, likewise, if you don't do a very good job in the field house, um, you know, you don't interact well with kids or with other guys on staff, you know, that, that'll affect you getting hired at a new place. Um, so, you know, it, it really is, like I said, the lifeblood of progression in this business um, because you just never know where things are going to lie. We both started out as volunteers and to be where we're at now, I don't think would be possible without having good relationships with people that are willing to um, put themselves on the line when they speak about you to other people. Yeah, absolutely. I think networking is extremely important. And I, I would uh, venture to say that, that, you know, through your own podcast, maybe one of the greatest benefits you've seen from that is those relationships that you've been able to build with those guys that you've had come on, you know, many of which you already knew, but some may, maybe not so well. Uh, but now that you have this, you have a, um, you know, a, 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 your phone full of guys that you can text or call for advice or, um, you know, whatever you might need as far as, as that kind of stuff goes. But I think one of the, the important things with a network is, is it has to be, 
your motives have to be pure. If you're building, if you're trying to start these relationships with these guys, and it's ultimately because you want it, you want them to help you get a job or you want, um, you know, whatever you want something from them. Then I think that you're going to find that your network is not very strong. You may have a guy's number in your cell phone, but that doesn't mean he's part of your network. Uh, if you, if I think if a guy's a part of your network, you, you have a relationship that's built upon something genuine. Um, you know, uh, and, and I think that, that it's also something that you nurture, whether it be, whether it be, you know, by text or by call or in-person meetings, but you need to be going and seeing that person and talking to that person, picking that person's brain. Otherwise it's not a real network. But I think, you know, people have asked me before, you know, why are, why are you still doing this podcast? Like, what's the benefit for you? What do you get out of it? Well, I'll tell you, um, this, this happened this week. Um, a, co- a college coach that I've had on my podcast before, who's not in Texas. So he's, he texted me and said, Hey, I'm looking to, uh, we're looking to kind of increase our visibility in San, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah. In San Antonio, Houston, and Austin. Uh, you know, can you kind of put me in touch with some guys there at some schools so we can start, you know, getting, getting coaches in, into those places and recruit their kids. And so I said, yeah, let me, let me go through my phone and I'll send you, uh, send you some contacts. And I really honestly had no, no idea how many I had, but uh, going through there, I had um, over 20 uh, just from, DFW in Houston alone. And I, I didn't, I didn't realize it until I, until I did that about how many dudes, like if I ever needed something as far as, you know, coaching advice or uh, ask about, you know, what it be D line play specifically, like there's 20 dudes right there at some of the best schools in the state of Texas that I can turn to and, and ask. And because we have that relationship, um, they wouldn't have a problem um, answering that for me. Now, Kind of to your point, with the, are those guys that I would necessarily put on my resume as a reference? Probably not, but they're guys that that um, that I think have had positive interactions with me, and that can can kind of like what you said, be those off the off the resume type guys that that if someone were to ask them about me, I would I would hope that 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 uh, that interaction would be a positive one. But I think that's a a really important thing to remember is you know, and and also too to build your network, it's going to take you getting off your butt and being uncomfortable and. And putting yourself out there. I think with, with the way Zoom is now and, and being able to do so much stuff online, the greatest benefit of going, like actually in person going to a clinic is not the, the content because we can get content anywhere. I can get content sitting in my, my underwear watching a Zoom, uh, you know, from, you know, the, the defensive coordinator from you know, University of Texas or whatever. But I think it's when, when you go to those, those clinics, I think one of the main things that you ought to be looking to do is meet new coaches, reconnect with, old, with, with coaches you've known before and, and make those connections and build that network. Because I think that's not necessarily something you can do strictly through Zoom or strictly through text messages. There needs to be some face-to-face interaction there. Oh, I agree 100%, man. And it's, you know, you think about networking as a business um, and you're providing a two-way service, right? You want Ultimately, we want people to be able to speak highly of us to others, but at the same time, they're going to want us to be able to speak highly of them. So, you know, whenever I go back and visit um, my wife's families in, in the Rowlett area, so anytime that I get a chance and I'm back up there, I'm texting five or six guys going, hey, let's get together. Let's let's grab a, a beer. Let's talk. Um and it's not always about ball. Usually, it, it you know when you're going to get coaches together, it's gonna, yeah. ball's going to come up. But you know we're going to talk about other things about life stuff. And 
so you're absolutely right. Um, it's it's fostering those pre-existing relationships, and then when you get a chance to go to clinics, uh, I'm with you, man. You, you can get content from anywhere and everywhere. And after this last year, there's so much available right now for free that um, you know there there's no reason why you should be uh, solely going to clinics just to get content. It's, it's about networking. It's about meeting new people. Um, you know, I'd love to be able to, to sit down with you face to face, shake your hand, uh, whenever the next opportunity we have is if that's, you know, 2021 coaching school, or if it's, you know, one of these days we, we have a live, you know, KYPD, uh, disruption chat, you know, clinic or something of that nature. Right we can actually physically do that. Cause I think there's still value in human interaction face to face because eventually everybody's going to be zoomed out if they're not already uh, because we've been forced to do it so much that uh, you need that human interaction. We seek um, even, even those that, that claim themselves to be introverts still need human interaction just to have a reason to do something period. Well, and I think that's a skill that you're going to see is going to set you apart as a coach moving forward with everything, you know, everyone being used to communicating via email or text message or, or, or whatever, that if you, you have to be able to develop those, those, those personal skills where, or interpersonal skills where you can go up and talk to people and hold a conversation. And, um, you know, I, I started my first four years of coaching, four or five years. Uh, I went to the AFCA convention every year and I never went with, with a staff always went by myself. That, that wasn't by choice, but just no one else went. And it, to me, it was, it was an important enough uh, investment in my time and in, in myself personally to, to make that sacrifice to go. And I can't say that it was fun. I mean, it was, it was cool to be around, you know, be, to, to, to see some of those, those coaches and hear some big time coaches. But when you're walking in a, uh, in a convention center and you see all these dudes kind of huddled up together talking and they're, they're catching up with old buddies, and you're just sort of walking by, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not necessarily a fun thing. But um, I had to just kind of get over it and get over myself and just go up and, and, and talk to people and, and would work really hard at building connections before that. So when I got down there, I would have someone to go and talk to or a reason to go and talk to someone. And all of that really helped me kind of get over that fear of, of you know, just going up and talking to coaches. And I, it wasn't ever like, hey, you got a GA job or hey, are you hiring? It was more like just, Hey coach, I'll, you know, I, I saw y'all do this this year. I thought that was really cool. You know, what can, what can you tell me? Can we talk more about that? Or maybe I have a connection through that coach. Like maybe he coached a buddy of mine or he's coached with someone, but just looking for ways to, to um, get out of your comfort zone, I think is another great thing. And, and ultimately as, as technology advances, those guys who are able to be, uh, to be, to be super personable and, and, and interact and, and, and pour in other people. I think those guys are the ones that are going to uh, climb this, the, the profession, climb the ladder of this profession the quickest. I'm with you, man. No doubt. Um, it's, it's important. It's necessary. Um, and it's, it's the only way for us to, uh, to continue to get better. Cause ultimately as coaches, you have to face to face talk with, with kids and with parents and stuff. So if you don't develop those skills, you're not going to get that much better as a coach. You're going to be pretty uh, one or two dimensional, um, you know, and you got to be as multifaceted as possible. And I know we're going to talk about 
you know, other duties as assigned, but, uh, but that's one of those things that just comes with the territory. So with all that being said, okay, we talked about how, how important it is for, you know, for you to be able to network and for you, you to be able to talk to other coaches and students. But now let's talk about social media because it seems like, you know, there was a time when a cell phone was a, um, you know, it was, it was not, a, not necessarily a necessity. You know, it was, it was something that was cool to have. Uh, just like a car was. I mean, a car wasn't always a necessity, but now it's, it is. Uh, and, and cell phone has kind of become that way as well. Social media, uh, a lot of people would argue that it's not a necessity, and I would agree with that. However, when it comes to networking, which is what we're talking about, it is a pretty useful tool. And when it comes to putting, you know, promoting your, your, your athletic program, promoting your athletes, connecting with college coaches, getting your kids recruited, it is a tool that I think we would be wise as coaches not to ignore or say, well, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. Or that's not, that's not me. So talk about, you know, how, how we as coaches can best utilize social media to help benefit not only our own, our own coaching career, but also our student athletes and the places where we work. Oh yeah, man. It's, I, I'm with you. It's not necessarily a necessity. I, I know coaches that, you know, they don't have a Twitter, they don't have, um, a Facebook or they don't have an Instagram or maybe they have only one or two of these, um, you know, and certainly not everybody has uh, TikTok. Uh, but what these are, are avenues, like you said, to promote your program, to promote your student athletes, to uh, connect and network with coaches from not only around the state, but around the country and across the globe. Um, you know, if anything, last year taught us that uh, the the love of football is much bigger than what we would have realized um, to to have coaches on clinics from Germany and Australia and um, everywhere beyond just, you know, this North American border. It's pretty crazy um, because you never know what those people are going to do um, or give you from an from an information standpoint, as far as utilizing it, um, you know, one thing for me is, is just, I try to keep all of, all of anything and everything that I post. Um, it's stuff that I believe in. Uh, I try to keep it as positive as possible. Uh, I try to keep it informative and I try to keep it uplifting. Uh, I don't dive into politics on, on my social medias. Um, I, I obtain information from a variety of different people uh, and different viewpoints from social media. Uh, I use that to form my own ideas, um, but it also gives me an opportunity to look at different perspectives and do my own personal research um, to develop my own conclusions on things. You know, if I'm if I'm interested in a particular uh, defensive scheme or finding more information out about what an offense is trying to accomplish, you know, that social media is a great way to link with other people who are currently doing those things. Um, and just like you said, you can go through, you know, people's follows and likes and, and retweets to find out who's, who's doing the things that you want to know more about, you know, how, how do I, if I'm, if I'm interested to know about the triple option, well, there's a multitude of people on 
on Twitter, especially that are, uh, you know, ranging anywhere from experts to novices regarding the triple option. Um, and there's countless groups on Facebook dedicated to specific topics or to general topics that have discussions related to other specific topics. Um, when it comes to promoting your program, uh, you know, that's, that's just a huge uh, tool and an invaluable tool to help, um, you know, influence people as to what's going on in, in your program. Uh, on the same token, uh, it can make people really wonder what is going on in your program as to why things are the way that they are. Um, you know, I've learned so much from a strength conditioning standpoint by connecting with people through social media that I can have daily conversations about why are they doing this and should we be doing this? And it gives me a chance to evaluate how I am as a coach because I can look at what other people are doing, the success that they're having and go, okay, well, I want to replicate that success. We have similar kids. We have similar um, situations. So how, how is it that they're successful in this particular area, but I'm not okay. Now I can, I know that because a lot of times, you know, when you go to clinics and you hear some of these collegiate coaches talk, sometimes it sounds really good, but then you look and you go, well, they've got that five-star, that four-star, that five-star. He runs a four-five. He's 275 pounds. He's seven foot tall, whatever. So it works for them, but they've been able to have and arrange all those pieces. You've got a 5'10", a 5'7", a 6'4", Somebody's 300, somebody's 250, somebody's 175 soaking wet, and you are not guaranteed to have the same kind of people year in, year out. Um, you've got grades. We've had, you know, obviously this year coaching through uh, COVID and all the different protocols. Uh, it's truly been about next man up. So the only way for me to, to get better and learn is, is to reach out to other people who have potentially dealt with similar situations uh, and have like um, circumstances to help me get better. And that's what social media does. Um, it's funny, you know, I was thinking about this question uh, while watching some uh, college basketball. When you are promoting your program, I think it's important to separate whoever is running that account about that program and their personal stuff separate from that program account. So if you're running a, a specific program account, whether it's for football, basketball, whatever, keep everything relevant to just that program. Obviously, if it's senior night, pump up the seniors. You know, if it's the first time you're making the playoffs, it's your, if it's your 27th appearance in the state championship, yeah, pump that up to talk about how excited you are. But if it relates to uh, very personal beliefs, you know, that's got to, that's got to be kept separate because those, those program accounts are a direct reflection of not just you and not just those kids, but that high school, uh, that high school principal, that district. Um, so there's a lot more potential problems if you involve your personal beliefs, whatever they may be, into program accounts. Uh, I've seen coaches run, basically run personal accounts through program accounts. And I don't always agree yeah. with the things that they say, because to me, 
that's a personal viewpoint. You can't guarantee that that same viewpoint is shared by everybody involved in that program. Right. And that's not to say right or wrong. It's just, that's a separate deal. So if you look at like, you know, if you look at collegiate program accounts and the content that's put there, it's very program specific. Right. That's, but that coach typically has some kind of disclaimer in their bio, right? My, these are my own personal uh, reflections and, op- and opinions. They do not reflect that of the university um, because you can't necessarily make blanket statements for everybody. Um, it just, that's just, that's just not a good idea. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. And, and one thing I thought of when I, when I was thinking about this question was, you know, that, that it's, it's like anything else uh, social media is. It has uh, great power to do awesome things for you, for your, for your school, for your program. It also has the power to do devastating things to your career, for your program, your personal life. Uh, positive examples, you know, you think about our man, uh, Marco Regalado, this time last year, uh, you know, I don't want to say no one had ever heard of him, but I mean, I, I'd seen a couple of his videos playing the guitar and stuff on 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 Twitter and things, but I mean, he's gone from being a, a relatively obscure coach in the Valley to now he's in Pullman, Washington, uh, working in the recruiting office at Washington State. And that's all because uh, of the way that he wielded his social media and and allowed it to to be a tool to help promote himself and and now look where he is. And there's no doubt he wouldn't he would that he would be there today if it wasn't for you know what he did, um, you know his creativity and his his humor and the way that he able, was able to to capitalize on that through social media. And there's other coaches as well that you know that you and I both look to as as experts in their field because of you know the things that they put out on Twitter or the thing or their, their websites or whatever it is. So I think that there are some you know great things that can be done in, in that regard. And then without getting you know specific there are also coaches who uh really um damage themselves and damage their program by the stuff that they post and so i think that it's a i think it's something that you know coaches should be should be a part of but also just understand the power that 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 thing can wield uh i'm with you i don't try to get too serious with with my uh with my twitter account um i do try to like try to keep it positive um i don't think that I have to go out and, and comment on everything that's going on in the world. Uh, and and that, that, that a silent, that me not doing that means that I don't care. It's just that I don't feel like that's the place. Um, if anybody wants to call me and, and, and talk about it, I would be you know happy to do that. But I just don't think that the way things can be misconstrued and taken out of context in Twitter and then that stuff's out there forever. I don't think that's the, the, the spot for me necessarily to, to, um, espouse my my beliefs on everything um and and so i think that's a good rule of thumb there for for kind of like what we both talked about with our social media okay let's talk about this in every contract that you have ever signed or that i've ever signed there's that line there that says you know here's what you're going to be doing coach noonan you're a you're a d-line coach assistant you know whatever power lifting and other duties assigned And, you know, that can sometimes look like some pretty crazy things. So uh, talk to me about, you know, I think that it's really important. You're starting to see more and more on coaching staffs, at least I am, is that you have each coach who's kind of, they they, kind of get their little niche of things that they're good at. Like maybe 
one coach is really good at doing spreadsheets. So one coach is really good at, he runs the music at practice or one coach is the social media coach or one coach is the guy who can make all the edits and the graphics and stuff. And that's just kind of stuff that, that maybe doesn't necessarily translate into helping you win games on Friday night, but it, it, it helps, helps the program. And I think that's really important that if you're a guy that doesn't have something, have a role like that on your staff, you need to be looking around for one and figuring out what can I do outside of my con- contractual responsibilities to help promote this program. So for you, what is that for you uh, is what I'd ask you first. And then how has that helped you in all of your stops? So currently at Hendrickson, um, you know, I have a hand in the, in the strength uh, program stuff uh, when it comes to our, our, in-season and off-season stuff directly related to football. Um, I'm, you know, I'm still learning that side of things. Uh, that's a relatively new passion for me in terms of the, the things that a strength coach does and, and what that job really entails. Um, it's more than just telling kids reps and sets and uh, things of that nature. Um, on our staff, man, as you're explaining other duties as a sign. I'm thinking about who are those people, you know? So for us, uh, the main person that does a lot of our graphics is, is coach Edwards. Um, he's our offensive line coach and um, you know, the, the time that he spends creating those things um, is they're invaluable because at the end of the day, uh, those edits are, are really for the kids uh, and they love that stuff. You know, I think, LSU football and what the things that they did this this past year, couple years, um, especially when they they had everything with Joe Burrow and that national championship run, it just truly gave everybody an understanding of like how important that is. Uh, a guy like LC Cisneros at Cleburne uh, and the edits that he does, man, and it's just it's awesome. Um, I think that, uh, like you said, some guys are are just wizards when it comes to spreadsheet stuff. We got a guy on staff that, you know, he's in charge of the off-season strength cards. They've got um, all the different uh, charts and and formulas and stuff. And it's, you know, it's taken him a long time to come to that, but he he does it. And he now he's at a point um, where, you know, it's pretty simple, but it took him a long time to get it all together. But, uh, you know, if you need it done, he's the man. Uh, so, you know, Coach Forster handles that. And then nobody messes with it because, you know, that's his baby. He's got every – he knows exactly where everything is. And you just let him be with it. Um, you know, but, but you're right. It's, it's important to find your niche on, on the team. Um, anybody and everybody can learn a scheme and teach X's and O's type stuff. But that's not – what we are just as coaches. Uh, we wear a multitude of hats um, when it comes to how we handle and deal with our, our students and student athletes in the classroom and on the field. Um, you know, some days we're dads, some days we're fun uncle, some days we're big brother, some days we're, we're the disciplinarian. Um, you know, pretty much everybody's on, everybody's got a guy on staff that that's the, uh, that's the punishment coach. Oh yeah. Um, you know, so they relish in, in the torture. Uh, but at the same time, their job is just as important as, um, you know, the person that's running the music at practice. 
Um, you know, I, I think when you do practice with music, what music is played depending on the time of day is, is important. Um, particularly when, uh, when it's later in the season and everybody's kind of dragging and especially in a season like what we just went through where you're coming off and on from uh, quarantine and, and, and other, you know, hurdles that are unforeseen, you know, you got to keep, keep the juice flowing. Um, so it's, it, it's crazy. Uh, in my career, I've, I've been a recruiting coordinator. Um, so when I was at Santa Gertrudis, um, what was funny is, is, uh, Marco was there in 2018. No. Yeah. Nope. 17. I don't remember. Anyway, he was there. Um, and we were going to, uh, have him be the, uh, the recruiting coordinator. Um, and I was, we, you know, we were going to kind of tag team it together and he was, he was a young coach. Um, you know, and I, I had learned a whole lot from, from Corey Jordan at West Mesquite. And, uh, you know, so we were going to do that together, but I was also going to be in charge of, of creating the strength conditioning, not just for football, but for all of athletics. Um, so I had to learn how to work with a, uh, a pretty, um, demanding head softball coach, um, who had taken that program, uh, to several state appearances and come very close to winning it. Um, you know, the year that I got down there, uh, they did win it. So I want to think that I had a lot to do with it, but I had like probably nothing to do with it. Um, but you know, I had to create that buy-in and, and learning how to promote a, uh, a three, a high school in Kingsville, Texas, that nobody had ever really heard of, um, outside of that area, you know, was a big deal. And without social media, I don't think that we would have gotten the exposure that we did. Um, and I ran the account, I ran the, the, um, athletic program account, uh, and I did my best to try and feature all of our programs, um, you know, but also highlight them, uh, from an academic standpoint and the good things that they did, uh, in that standpoint, cause they're, cause they were just like us as coaches were more than just coaches. Um, you know, we're, we're people, these kids are more than just athletes. They're, they're people, they're students, they have other, uh, life achievements. So if they're getting an Eagle scout, that's to me a great, you know, getting an Eagle scout is, is just as good as, as becoming a, uh, all district or all state. You know, that's a, that's a rare thing. It's a hard thing to do. Uh, and that, that type of, of stuff should be uh, acknowledged and, and, and publicized as much as possible. So if you're tasked with creating edits or you're tasked with playing the music, you know, take that to heart. Don't, don't be, um, don't, oh man, I got to do that. You know, understand that it's, it's bigger than you and, and everybody plays that role. Um, or if it's like driving the bus, on a January morning to take seniors to San Marcos for a college visit. Cause no one else will do it. You know, you do that. Um, yeah. so that's, that's something I I've done before. Uh, it was an interesting day. It was a cool day. I'd actually never toured, um, you know, Texas state's campus. So the day that, uh, I drove the bus for a bunch of seniors, um, it was the first time I'd ever stepped foot on Texas state's campus. And it's funny. You asked yourself if, uh, what would it have been like to go to a big school like Florida state? And, you know, I wonder what would it have been like to go to a school like Texas state or state and go to a school like university of Houston, you know, would my experiences have been 
similar or very different. Um, so, it, it, you know, you just never know what, what these other duties as assigned will bring you. Um, just like you said, you know, uh, with Coach Regalado and, and, and the work that he put in um, and, and being at different schools and, and continuing with, with TikTok and, and such a, things of that nature and, you know, playing at open mic nights and stuff. So, you know, who's to say that he doesn't release a, an album one day yeah. Uh, yeah. So you just never know um, what these things can do for you. I, I know that uh, LC is, is now doing a side business um, for graphic design. Um, you know, other guys are, are doing it. I, you, I think you've got somebody that's that redesigned uh, yours and, and, and such. So, you know, you never, just never know what these things could do for you down the line. Of course, you know, it doesn't hurt to get a little extra, on the paycheck when it comes to driving buses and things of that nature for, especially if you're doing it for other programs outside of yours. Yeah. I think whatever you can do to make yourself more valuable to the program where you are employed, you know, uh, if you are the, the running backs coach and you're the assistant baseball coach, you know, and that's pretty much all you do. Guess what? Like, we can go find someone that can do both of those things. And that's not a knock against any of those positions. I just pick two random things, but, you know, but once, once you're able to, to, you know, I'm the guy that always, like you said, I got my CDL. So I'm always driving the bus for, for teams or for organizations that don't have bus drivers, or you're the guy that's always, um, you know, handling the, like, you, you know, social media stuff or uh, always taking care of the laundry or making sure like, you know, you take ownership of the, the sub varsity locker rooms and those things are freaking spick and span, you know. Um, I think anything that you can do to add value to your program and make yourself more valuable to that program. So if they got rid of you, then it would be noticeable. You know, there would be a lot of things that they getting rid of you would be getting rid of like half a dozen coaches because of all the things you do. And I don't think it has to be something that um, sometimes it is things that we don't necessarily like to do, whether it's laundry or whether it's uh, you know, setting up the weight room or whatever. But a lot of times it can be something that you enjoy doing anyway, whether, you know, playing the music, doing edits, and, and then just find a way to, to take what you enjoy doing and make it where it benefits your program. Yeah, that, that's so um, important, you know, to add value to where you're at uh, beyond just coaching and, and, and you know, specifically your first and second sports or, or multiple uh, beyond that, if you have to, depending on the size of your school, um, <clears throat> you know, because like you said, you can find a lot of guys that can coach and do the X's and O's and, and teach in the classroom. Um, but at the end of the day, the majority of kids we coach are not going to go on and play at the next level. The majority of, of kids that we teach in the classroom, um, are probably not going to get four-year degrees. Um, they're going to go and do other things. Um, and if any, if this last year has taught us anything, it's that there are a multitude of options and the ability to make money and make a, and, and create a living for yourself is widening and widening. Um, so if anything, being able to do certain things allows you to have better connection with these kids. Um, because we have no idea if one day we may need them to sign our paychecks or we may need them to give us a job because, 
you know, we're done coaching, but we still want to work. And, and they've got a multi-million dollar business that we want to be a part of. And, you know, you, if you shun that kid, who knows uh, what could have happened. Um, you know, I've been fortunate to work with some really amazing people uh, and, and coach them. And I, I just know one day, you know, I'm sure that one of them is going to become a senator or uh, who knows, president. And, you know, maybe I get a really cool job in, in Washington, D.C. and not have to do a whole lot. But, you know, you just you just never know who you're going to have an impact on and what the things that you do mean to people, uh, both big and small. Yeah, absolutely. So in my time as a coach, I've been the huddle guy. Uh, I've been uh, the guy who makes uh, pregame hype videos. I've been the music guy. Seems like I've always been the music guy. And my, my theory there on that is not because I'm necessarily an, an awesome DJ. It's because I always happen to be the only guy that has like Spotify premium. So there's no ads that pop up in between songs. Everybody else is too cheap, I guess. Um, and I've been uh, off season um, like, like weight cards guy, you know, make the weight cards for, for off season, uh, shows you the guys maxes and stuff. So all these different things. And I would say that none of them were necessarily things that were strengths of mine, but they kind of became strengths. Like I knew nothing about making a highlight video, nothing. And I had to, had to learn. And there were a lot of games where I go, everybody's ready to go out. We had, when I was in Kerrville, we'd watch a highlight video from the week, the previous week, we'd watch it on a projector and then we'd go out and play like that was the last thing we did. So it was really important to have that thing ready to go. Well, there were several times my first year there that you hit play and nothing happens or, uh, you know, it's, it's something, there's some sort of glitch. And so it was always, uh, I caught a lot of ridicule from that, but anyway, yeah, I think that's great advice um, for guys out there to, if you're, if you're not looking for ways that you can help your program outside of the stuff that you, uh, that's on your contract, then then you definitely should because that's only going to help you in the long run. Well, coach, we're gonna uh, we're gonna kind of get ready to close this thing out with some fun questions here for you, kind of a rapid fire segment that we usually do. Uh, and I want to start off with uh, both of us. We are our Houston sports fans, okay? And and Houston sports fans. Now, I will have to say I, I'm not a, necessarily a Texans fan, um, and and it, you may kind of be because we're the same age. You know, the Texans, I'm sorry, the Oilers left when we were kids. And obviously, you can see still repping the Oilers uh, um, today. But, you know, I, I had a, had an Oilers ja starter jacket back in the day, and then they left. And so I became a, a Cowboys fan out of necessity um, and never really got into the Texans because we were in high school when they, when they came into existence. But other than that, um, definitely an Astros fan. Uh, I'm not really an NBA fan, but if I had to choose, I guess it would be the Rockets. But, but anyway – Let's let's talk about um, I, I know we're both Astros fans and that's been really it's been a difficult last uh, 12 months, maybe 16 months for us. Uh, so now with with George Springer being gone, what's your uh, what's your feeling on the Astros as we head into uh, 2021? Um, apprehension. Um, yeah. I, I, you know. They they I remember the Sports Illustrated cover, right, that was. Yeah, that had George on us with the throwback rainbow, uh, tequila sunrise jerseys, right? And they're talking about you know this is going to be the next, this potentially the next you know big team. I don't think they necessarily yeah, used the word. No, he said 2017 World Champ. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they didn't necessarily say dynasty, but uh, you know it, that run uh, in 
and and over the last couple of years, it had been referenced that you know free agency was coming, and so it, it's only a matter of time. And uh, with him gone, you know, he was he was club Astros, right? He was the I think he was the main you know music guy in the locker room. And yeah, and, you're right. Um, just you know, I, I was never a good baseball player, but watching him play and just watching his energy, I think it was infectious for the team. Um, you know, we talk about when you leave, it's not just you leaving, it's everything that you did for the team and the, and the organization. So with him being gone, um, you know, that leaves a big void, not just in center field, but the energy in the clubhouse. Um, you know, you hope that a guy like Altuve and, and uh, Bregman and, and Correa can, can fill those roles. Um, you know, and I, I'm excited to, that they retained a Michael Brantley, but you know, I, I'd love for them to bring back somebody like a Marwin Gonzalez. I think guys like that that are glue guys, that are that are um, multi-positional people, um, are, are I think that they don't realize what they truly mean to a team uh, until they're gone. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, growing up, I remember the the Otis Thorpe trade, and and you know, I was an Otis Thorpe fan, so seeing him leave the Rockets was was tough. Um, you know, just because he was a glue guy uh, and, yeah. you know, he did so much for, for that whole team. And uh, I think everybody loved Otis Thorpe, but, you know, having Springer gone, that sucks. Um, you know, it's, you're, you're gonna, it'll be interesting. My hope is they don't go back into, you know, triple digit losing. Uh, that, that was, that was a tough, that was tough to endure. Yeah. Um, we have a standing, bet with my college buddies um uh one of them is a uh marlins fan because he's from miami another one is a phillies fan because he's from philadelphia and uh two of my buddies are uh brace fans because they're uh one was one grew up in florida and he's closer to atlanta than he is to miami and the other one grew up in georgia um so you know we always talk about okay uh you know winner gets a winner gets this or that every year, uh, depending on the team that, uh, that does the best. So it, it's been nice to be on top, uh, for, yeah. for a while now, but, uh, I don't think they'll be able to, uh, hold on to that much longer. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. And, and I'm hoping that, that we're not witnessing the, the end of an era, but it's hard not to feel that way. All right. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to pick it up with these next few questions here. Okay. Um, so tell me this, with your technology and, and, and the things that you're using, are you a, a an Apple or Samsung guy? Um, Let's talk about your phone. What kind of phone we're we working with? I, I'm, I'm, I'm an iPhone guy. I switched last year. I had always been an Android. I said I'd never switch. Um, when we moved to Pflugerville and we were shopping, the, the plan that we were on was – about to expire. So we were shopping around for a better deal. Um, and it just so happened that it was a, it was a good deal to, to switch over to AT&T and get two iPhones. So I, I, I've gone the iPhone route. That's, that's the only, uh, Apple product that I personally own. Um, I have a Microsoft surface tablet that I use as my laptop. Um, but, uh, my wife had a MacBook. She's got a, um, an iPad, uh, but we, you know, we both have Dell computers from work. So yeah. Yeah. All uh, right. So a little bit of all over the place, all over the place. Okay. 
let's talk about this. I know you you post some some videos of your workouts in the morning. I've seen you doing some deadlifts, and I don't know if I've paid this close attention, but when it comes to deadlift, okay, um, is your grip inside of your feet or outside of your feet? What's what grip you were working with in deadlifts? So I am a outside the feet, so a conventional deadlifter. Yeah. Um, I that's I've tried sumo. Um, my sumo is not terrible. Um, so inside the feet, wide stance. Um, I just I, I, I prefer the conventional style. Um, I you know I, I'm a big uh, world strongest man fan. So you don't see those guys uh, doing sumo deadlifts. You see them doing conventional. Uh, so I just I, to me that's the way to go. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, coach. Great stuff today. Uh, I really appreciate it. And glad we we're finally finally able to get this done. And I uh, want to wish you the, the the best of luck as we go into 2021 and know that this won't be the last of you that we'll be uh, we'll be talking a lot uh, throughout this offseason. So I uh, just want to thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing with us today. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And best of luck to you and keep doing the, this awesome podcast and just know that it creates a lot of value for a lot of people out there. Big shout out to my man, Coach Noonan, for joining us today. Uh, I, I just really appreciate him and all that he is doing uh, to help grow and promote our game and coaching community. Uh, he's, he's a super gracious dude and, and just really appreciate, again, him, him, him joining us today. If you aren't following him on Twitter, you should. He can be found at Coach Noon 45 Also, be sure to check out his podcast, Hanging with Coach Noonan, which drops new episodes each week. And if you're looking for ways to connect and learn from other coaches, then check out the two chats that Coach Noonan runs. Uh, you got Iron Speed Chat on Sunday nights at 7 Central, which covers issues related to strength and conditioning, particularly uh, on the high school level. So if that's something you want to check out, you can find that by following Coach Noonan and searching for the hashtag Iron Speed Chat on Twitter. For D-Line guys, Coach Noonan also facilitates Disruption Chat on Tuesday nights at 7.30 Central. And that's where you're going to get to discuss uh, various aspects of coaching and defensive line uh, with guys from all over the country. It's, it's a great resource for coaches. And as we mentioned in our conversation today, a great way to meet and connect with other coaches as well. If you have an opinion about the topics that Coach Noonan and I discussed today and you want to weigh in, then make sure you're following us on Twitter at KYPD Podcast and look for those questions to pop up on our Twitter feed this week. Get in on the discussion. Let us know what you think. Also, if you're a fan of this podcast, hey, don't keep it a secret. As we say in coaching, you know, there ain't no secrets on defense. So tell your coaching buddies about us. Give us a five-star rating and leave us a review and help us spread the word about our show. Also, while we're on that, big shout-out to my man, Coach Robert Irwin, who's been on the podcast before. He's a defensive line coach over there at Midlothian High School. And uh, he, he, he uh, shouted us out Saturday night on Twitter and along with some, some other great guys and some other great resources that are out there available to you coaches. So big shout-out to Coach Irwin for, uh, for showing us some love. Our quote of the day goes like this. Strength is never a weakness. And that will do it for us today. Thanks again for checking us out today. We will see you right back here next week for episode number 95, which is going to be a really special episode. That's where we're starting off. Uh, I've been teasing these a series of episodes for a while now, actually back since since uh, the fall. And we're now we're finally getting to our first one. Next week, we're going to have our first installment of what we're calling our fourth and one episodes, which is where we're going to talk with a guest about overcoming obstacles and how they handled adversity in their life, 
Uh, these are going to be uh, you know outside of the realm of defensive line talk. So uh, if that's what you're used to, we're going to step outside of that for a week, but you're really going to enjoy it. So make sure you join us back next week. Subscribe now so you never miss an episode. Until then, take care of each other. Love God, love your neighbor. And of course, as always, keep your pads down, dadgummit. <laughs>